All right, well, good morning again. Here we are in week three of our series called Consumed. Before we dig into God's Word together, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the blessing of today. Uh, Lord, your word reminds us that your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the gift of today, for the opportunity to breathe life, uh, for the privilege of being in this room right now. Lord, we're not quite sure what it is that you want to teach us, and, and yet we know that when we encounter your word, that there is power and that there is life, that there's promise and there's hope, there's forgiveness. And there's so much strength that we can gain. So Lord God, I pray that these next few minutes that we spend together would be a combination of all that. Lord, I pray that as we've said in this series, that you would continue to cause each of us to be reflective of our own situation. And Lord, by your power, challenge us, move us, help us take a next step towards a deeper faith journey with you. Uh, Lord, because you know what's best for us. You know uh, what you would want our life to entail. And God, only by your grace can you give that to us. So Lord God, I, I pray for all of us right now. Uh, give me wisdom as I teach. Lord, give us ears as we hear. In the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. All right, so uh, before we dig in, a couple of housekeeping items just to remind you of. Bathrooms? No, I'm not going to do all that kind of stuff, okay? But I do want to remind you, Uversion is a great Bible app. Uh, if you have an iPhone, an Android, an iPad, some other smart device with you, you can log on to that right now if you've downloaded the Uversion Bible app. And you can actually, uh, as you saw on the screen there a little earlier, you can actually take notes, submit prayer requests, do all sorts of cool things with that during the message. So go on there right now if you have that capability. Second thing, if you're a kid in the room, we've got a great thing called Growing Deeper for Kids that we provide every single week. That's available at tables in the back, those small little tables near the back wall. So feel free anytime to get up, grab one of those, helps you take notes as you go through the message together. Now uh, the visual that we've been using, here we are in week three, has been Pac-Man. As you've seen, if you've been here in the previous couple of weeks, or even if it's your first time here today, you see it on the front cover of our weekly communication piece, you see it right behind me. This idea of Pac-Man. Pac-Man is such a great game, it's a fun game, whether you're a kid or an adult or an older adult, Anyone of all ages can play it, but in reality, it is a really sad existence if this is what your life is about. Not just if your life is about playing Pac-Man in your mom's basement, that's a really sad existence too, okay? And you're 55 years old, okay? That's a sad existence, but I also want to say it's a sad existence if your life is all about Gobbling, 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 taking, 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 consuming, 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 buying, 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 all the different material things that you possibly can just because you can in this world. That's sad. And in fact, I want to suggest to you today that there's a much better way to live. And that's the whole point of this series. So every single week during this series, at the end of our weekly teaching, we're giving you a challenge. And we started this week one, if you were here a couple weeks ago, we said, remember? You should, because today's the end of it. No new stuff, no new spending for two weeks. When did we say that? We said it Two weeks ago, congratulations, okay, you've made it, okay, I don't know if your family took up that challenge, but I hope you did, I, I hope you at least thought about it. It was kind of funny, yesterday I was in the grocery store, and I was buying, I was buying something that I'm going to use as an illustration in just a few minutes, but as I was coming around the corner, I saw someone 
who's a part of St. John, and they said, oh, hey, Pastor Ryan. I said, hey, you guys, how's it going? And they kind of looked at their cart, and they covered it, okay? I mean, just guilt, guilt all over them. It was guilt. And they said, we totally ran out of food. We really, really needed to go shopping. I said, hey, you don't need to explain yourself to me, you know? Take it up with the Lord. Don't take it up with me, right? Okay. Uh, It it was hilarious. It it was just hilarious. So, you know, they felt a little bit guilty about that. Uh, Then I had an email from someone this week who sent me a picture of some chili mac that they had made because they were kind of using all the ingredients from their pantry. And it was a great picture. And then she said, and I had to go to the grocery store and I just felt, Pastor Ryan, like your voice was haunting me. Do you really need that? Can't you wait a little longer? And so there I was. So hey, two weeks is up. Y'all made it. Give yourself a hand, okay? All right. Give yourself a hand. Some of you are thinking this is why I don't come to church every week because they're going to give challenges like that. Well, last week, last week we gave you a little easier challenge. We said find value in free. Identify and then participate in some kind of free activity this week. So I hope you were able to do that. Hopefully as a family you were able to do that. Got an email from another person who said, yep, my wife and I that Sunday afternoon, we decided to go out and take a walk together. Didn't cost us anything. We don't do that often, but we went out, we took a walk together, and while we were walking, we actually talked about some other opportunities in the spring to do things that are free. Now here we go to week three. I'm not going to give you the challenge yet. We're going get to the, get there at the end. But here's what I do want to tell you. I believe that week three... This, this day, today, next few minutes, this is the linchpin for the series. Okay, week one, week two, we'll call them warm-up. Okay, we'll call it the pregame. Week four, five, and six, we'll call it some of the application of what we're going to hit on today. But today is absolutely the key to unlocking the future and the life that God designed you to live. Okay? I don't know if I can say it any more strongly. It's the key, it's the linchpin, it's where the rubber meets the road. In fact, I think the issues we're going to talk about today are the things that keep so many of us paralyzed and burdened and consumed by materialism in our world. And if we can just get this right, you know, if by God's wisdom and God's strength, we can make decisions today to live a little differently based on what God's word tells us, I think that our lives could look dramatically different. You know, journalists all the time are told by editors, don't bury the lead, don't bury the lead, don't bury the lead. Today I'm not burying the lead. Here's the deal. Generosity is the only cure for consumption. Generosity is the only cure for consumption. Say that with me generosity is the only cure for consumption. Not spending for two weeks won't fix a consumption problem. It might put a little band-aid on it. It might cause you to think about things differently. Yeah, fine. Okay, it's good. Finding value in free won't fix a consumption problem. Things we're going to talk about in four, five, and six, the upcoming weeks, they won't totally fix a consumption problem. But generosity, I believe, according to what we're going to see in God's Word, is the only cure for consumption. The problem... The problem is that all of us live in a world and in a society and in a nation of buying and selling, saving and investing. In other words, we live in this thing called the economy. Now here's the thing about our economy, okay? There's a lot of good. There's a lot of bad. There's a lot of of bad, okay? There's a lot of good. Capitalism is good, okay? Capitalism seems to be, I think, a good economic system. 
It works. It spreads development. It spurs innovation. It allows the opportunity for wealth for a lot of different people, for it to be spread out. I mean, capitalism seems to be a really, really good economic system. But here's the problem. It's based on a core assumption of scarcity. It's based on a core assumption of scarcity. In fact, let me illustrate uh, this to you as we talk about supply and demand. Okay, let's think about the basic law of supply and demand. In fact, I'm going to use some apples here. Thank you very much. All right. Okay, basic law of supply and demand. Okay, economics 101. Basic law of supply and demand. I've got five apples right here. Okay, these apples are given an equilibrium price. Okay, there's a price attached to these apples. You know how much? Way too much. Okay, these apples right here, this is what I was buying yesterday, way, way, way too much. Overpriced, you shouldn't buy these apples. They're huge, they're good, but they're way overpriced, okay? But people are willing to pay for them. Why? Because people have figured out the proper balance of supply and demand. Now, let's just say, I got five apples here. Is five apples enough to feed everyone in here? Hmm. Probably not. We're getting close to lunchtime, all right? So I got five apples here. I've got a fairly low supply for the demand in this room. If you have a fairly low supply and high demand, what does it do to the price, to the equilibrium price? Drives it up, okay? Let's take away a couple apples. I've only got three apples here right now on my plate. About to have two, okay? Got three apples right here. Let's say only, Jake, you're the only one who wants an apple, okay? You're the only one. I got three apples right here, but you're the only one who wants an apple. So supply is up, demand is down. What about price? Price price goes down. Exactly. Basic law of supply and demand. Let me give these back to you before I drop them all. You see these apples right here? Supply and demand, it's all based on scarcity. It works. It's good. It's a good economic system, but it's based on the core assumption of scarcity. You see, God's economy is different. God's economy is different. God's economy is based on something else. It's based on abundance, not scarcity. And so how do we manage living in today's scarcity mindset, scarcity economy with a different economy? How do we bring God's economy, which works, which sounds weird, but it works. It's based on abundance. How do we bring that into our world and into our life? Because I think if we figure this one out, again, it unlocks the key to a different kind of life and a different kind of living. So today we're going to look at the Proverbs. If you would grab your Bible, you can either grab the Bible that's right in front of you, go to page 635 or you version. You can go there and again, you can take notes there as well. Email them to yourself a little later if you want. We're going to go to Proverbs chapter 11. We're going to start at verse 24. Now, we don't preach from the Proverbs often, um, but the Proverbs are pretty incredible. They're, they're a very, very cool book. It's really a string of wisdom in the Old Testament. And the Proverbs that we're looking at today were written by King Solomon. If you ever want to just tackle really good wisdom for your life, read the book of Proverbs. In fact, here's the cool thing about Proverbs, 31 chapters. So you could choose just reading a chapter a month or a chapter a month. How about a chapter a day, okay? You could, you could read a chapter a month. You'd really dig into it. But if you read a chapter a day of the Proverbs, I really think that it would challenge you and also encourage you in your own life journey. So look at verse 24. Here we go. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. 
Another withholds unduly, but he comes to poverty. Now, now that doesn't sound like capitalism, does it? Okay, honestly, it doesn't even sound like it would work. Logically, think about this, common sense. How can you give something away, give something away freely, and yet gain even more? How, how can you do it? Because reality suggests that if you give something away, you've lost it. So if you don't hold on to it, if you don't invest it, if you don't kind of take care of it for yourself, you're not going to have it. And yet God's word says something different. This is the counterintuitive nature of God's economy. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. So let's just be honest. Let's admit that God's economy doesn't make sense. The law of supply and demand makes sense. If supply goes up and demand goes down, price goes down. Vice versa, right? That all makes sense to us. And yet God's economy doesn't make sense. You know, right now we're kind of in the middle of tax season, aren't we? You know, a lot of us have either submitted our taxes, we've filed our taxes, we're busy preparing our taxes. Last week, Sunday, and then the Sunday afternoon before that, I was busy getting all my taxes together. Now, I, I don't say I love preparing and getting my taxes together, but I find it really, really fascinating to look at my numbers year after year after year. And just to compare things, you know, and think, wow, our utility bill was pretty much the same, a little higher than last year. You know, and, and just look at all these other formulas and, and things in your life when you do your taxes. Well, one of the things that I look at is charitable contributions, okay? Now, I'm not telling you this to brag. I, I'm not saying this to be arrogant. I'm simply making a point. When I look over the past five or six years of our life, and I look back, you know, that item that says, donations or contributions or whatever it says on your tax form. And I fill in that number year after year after year. And then I tell my wife what that number is. She goes, are you kidding me? Okay, here's the thing. We've been giving, giving, giving. Not just to here, but, but giving in different places. Okay, year after year after year. If we hadn't been doing that, you know what I would have? almost a paid-off house or a new car every year, okay? And yet we give. How, how is this possible? I don't get it. Verse 24, one man gives freely yet gains even more. It seems like by giving things away that you would say, ah, I lost it. You know, my house could be almost paid for. I could be driving a better thing than a Toyota Camry, 2001, okay? All right, it could do better than that. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but he comes to poverty. God's economy doesn't make sense. And yet I look back over the next five, last five years, and we have been more blessed than I, don't, than I think anyone could ever be blessed. It doesn't make sense. You know what else? It's scary. God's economy doesn't make sense, and it's scary. Some of you right now, you're in the thick of it. You know this. Because you've been living without a job for months. And yet you've been faithful. You've been generous. You, you made a big move in your life. You transitioned from one job to another, from one state to another. Huge cost to transaction when you're buying and selling a house, right? Okay, you know this. You get this. It's scary. It's scary to say, okay, honey, looking at our finances, we've got $100 right here. It is scary to think 
that you would not keep all that money for yourself and use it for yourself, especially when you're in a pinch, especially when things are hard. And yet, and yet, in God's economy, what if we focused on abundance? What if instead of seeing that $100 as the only thing that we have, what if instead we began to switch our mindset and say, okay, God, you've given me $100. You know, as we look at these Proverbs today, again, just being totally honest, totally frank, some of us doubt that this wisdom is actually wise. Because if we didn't doubt it, we'd be living differently. Some of you are very, very generous. And, and by the way, I'm not talking about being generous to the church necessarily. I'm talking about generous in a million different ways. Some of you have been very, very generous. You are very generous. Today's message is like a reinforcement to you. Say, yep, this is why we do what we do. And let's encourage others to do the same. But honestly, some of us are pretty doggone stingy. And we doubt that this wisdom works. Because if we believe that it worked, we would do something different. We would give differently. We would tip more generously. We would look at our portfolio and it would be invested differently. We would start to unlock the key to a different kind of life and a different kind of lifestyle if we believe these principles to be true. And let me just show you why I believe them to be so true in our own life. And I want to go to the New Testament to do that. Let's go to um, Philippians chapter 2. Flipping your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We're going to the New Testament after the Gospels, near the end of the Bible, Philippians chapter 2. You know, if you doubt that this wisdom is actually wise, just go with me to Philippians chapter 2. Let's look at it right here. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 5. These are the Apostle Paul's words. He's writing to the church at Philippi. He's writing 2,000 years ago. This is how he describes the nature of Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Paul says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. In other words, your thoughts should mirror the thoughts of God. Who? Okay, he's describing Jesus. Who? Being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. You know, we see right away, Jesus is fully God, 100% God. When Jesus walks in a room, Jesus could sit wherever he wanted, okay? We would get out of the way because Jesus is 100% all God. He has it all because he is all and, and is in all and, and all that kind of stuff. He, he's everything. He's got it all. But look at what he did. Having everything. Verse 7, look at this. But he made himself nothing. Literally, you know, in the original languages, he emptied himself. Literally emptied himself, gave it all away, made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, you know, gave it all away. Doesn't make sense. This does not make sense. Doesn't make sense that the God of the universe who has everything would give away everything. That he would become nothing so that we could have everything. And yet it's the counterintuitive nature of God himself and therefore God's economy. Look at verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became even lower and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Here's the result. 
Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, in his death, Jesus received what we deserved. In his death, Jesus took on and he received himself what we as human beings deserved. Because of sin, because of our failures, because of our shortcomings, we all deserve death. And yet what did Jesus receive? He received death. Torture, pain, suffering. We deserved it. He got it. And in faith, we receive what he deserves. What does he deserve? The God who has everything? He deserves even more. He deserves life and salvation and promise and hope. You see, theologians throughout history have called this the great reversal. It's the counterintuitive nature of God. Does it make sense that in his life, death, and resurrection, we would actually get the benefits of everything that Jesus does? And yet we do. And so let me just ask you, if you are willing to trust Jesus with the most important thing in your life, your soul, your eternal destiny, your salvation, you know, as God's word says, if you're willing to trust him there, why would you not trust him with the small, meager things of life? Including your stuff. Why wouldn't you do it? Because if we can trust God in the big, I believe we can absolutely trust him with the meager. And so let's just take this to its logical conclusion. If we trust God there, and, and we can then trust him in other areas of our life, the same God who gave his son Jesus for you, to die for you, the same God, is the same God who offers to you today what we're talking about. Generosity. And a generous and abundant life. So now let's flip back to Proverbs. Because if, if we can believe this, then I believe that we can believe the words of the Proverbs, Proverbs 11. So go back to Proverbs 11 with me. We're going to look again at verse 24 and 25. Proverbs chapter 11, okay? Having that in our mind, thinking about the life and the character and the example of Jesus, thinking about a God who's willing to give us everything so that we could receive everything, so we could receive what we would never deserve. Think about all that. Now let's read this again. One man gives freely, verse 24, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. Verse 25, a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Remember, generosity is the only cure for consumption. And here's one reason that this is true. Generosity generates blessing. I have seen it over and over and over again in my life. And if you're a generous person, so have you. Generosity generates blessing. Again, it's counterintuitive. But, but stats would show us generous people are happy people. Generous people are content people. This is the way God designed us. This is the way God made us. To live as people who live out of an attitude and out of a mindset and out of a heart of abundance, not scarcity. You see, God meets the needs of people through people. And so God is going to use people in order to bless other people. That's why generosity generates blessing. Now on the flip side, 
if you're just going to be stingy and just hold on to your stuff, you, you know what it'll get you in the long run? Bitterness, loneliness, kind of no friends. Because people are going to begin to pick up on this idea that you're only in it for yourself. You know, all of this here, I just love it, is consistent with what Paul writes in the New Testament. He says, whoever sows sparing, or whoever sows generously will also reap generously. In fact, the Apostle Paul in another chapter relayed this great story in the New Testament of this group of churches. They were called the Macedonian churches. And these churches, they weren't rich. They didn't have money growing on trees. No church does, okay? They, they were just trying to live life. And yet, in their basic living of life, you know what they did? They gave generously. Even when they didn't understand it, even when it didn't make sense, even when it was scary, they gave and they gave and they gave. And in fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2, out of the most severe trial, out of the most severe trial. In fact, let's read this together. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Out of the most severe trial. Do you catch that? That is such an important phrase. Out of the most severe trial, when they didn't have enough, when they couldn't do the math, when they couldn't figure it out. And trust me, back then, persecution was rampant. Okay? There were huge barriers to them giving. And yet they gave, and they gave, and they did it with this overflowing joy, even in the midst of extreme poverty. Okay? Right now, some of us are in extreme trials. We are. You know, if we're, if we're living right now, paycheck to paycheck, if we're living without double incomes and we're used to double incomes, okay, life's different. You know, like I said, if you transition to a, a different position, life's different. So how do you live in the midst of the, ex uh, the most extreme trials? You know that first song that we sang today? Th this is why you need to be to church on time, you know? It's been like six months since I gave that message. Remember that? Remember that, Remember that day when I reprimanded all of you for being late to church? This is why you need to be to church on time. Because you can't miss the first song because I'm going to reference it in my message, okay? Blessed be your name. That song, the whole idea of that song, the theme of that song came out of the Old Testament. A man by the name of Job, a, a man who had everything, who was blessed in a million different ways. And then suddenly, all that was taken away. And instead of being bitter towards God, instead of being angry at God, you know what he said? May the name of the Lord be praised. Or in other translations, blessed be the name of the Lord. Even in the most extreme trial, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be. I, I believe there's an opportunity for us. It's going to look different for all of us. To be generous. To live generously. To have a heart of abundance even in the most extreme trials of life. And because these Macedonian churches were generous, they were blessed. Look at verse 26. People curse the man who hoards grain, but blessing crowns him who is willing to sell. People curse the man who hoards grain. You know how I said that if you're going to be stingy, you're not going to have any friends? Well, don't be a hoarder either, okay? It just, I love the practical wisdom of the book of Proverbs. Don't be a hoarder. Now, most of us think of hoarders as 
crazy people, right? Don't we? You don't want to admit it, okay? You don't, you don't. But most of us think of hoarders as crazy people. You know, we see it on TV and we watch storage wars and, you know, hoarders and all that kind of stuff. We think they're crazy people. They're not. They're not. Listen to me defending them, okay? Maybe I am one, okay? Secretly, no, okay? But don't be a hoarder. Don't be a hoarder. Here's why. Because when you're a hoarder, your life is so occupied, preoccupied, and your mind is so preoccupied by so many other things. Just because you're a hoarder doesn't mean that you're a hoarder of junk. You know, some of you are hoarders of really, really nice things. But think back to the Old Testament with me. There was a man by the name of Joseph. He was one of the 12 sons of Jacob. He was the guy who was given this coat, right? Sold by his brothers, but no well, sold, shipped off to Egypt, okay? He began to kind of move up the ranks and ultimately became the governor of this whole nation of Egypt. He reported directly to Pharaoh. Well, there was a huge famine back then, extreme, extreme famine. And, and what did Joseph and his wisdom do? He began to gather grain, set it aside so that other people could have it. He didn't hoard it. He gathered it, he planned, he invested, and then he was able to sell it and give it away to other people who didn't have it. Well, if you fast forward that story a little bit, do you remember how that story ends? Okay, if you know the Old Testament. The story ends with Joseph being reunited with his dad and with all of his brothers because he wasn't a hoarder. You see, if he was a hoarder, no one would have came to him. He would have been piling it all up for himself. And yet, he was reunited in this incredible turn of events with his brother and with his dad. In other words, generosity generates blessing. Generosity generates blessing. Now look at verse 27. Look at verse 27. I just love it. Only God can make that happen. Only God can do that. It's God's economy. Verse 27. He who seeks good finds goodwill. But evil comes to him who searches for it. Another just really important principle in this whole thing, expect God's help when doing the right thing. You know, if, you, if you're going to decide today, okay, I want to live a life of abundance. I'm going to focus on abundance. I'm going to become a more generous person than I've been in the past. Expect God's help. Because that is honoring to God. That is pleasing to God that you would do that. You know, again, this goes far beyond our human ability. If we think this is all about us, and all about us making the right decisions, we are absolutely wrong. This is God's intervention in our life. And, and God's help will allow us to do that. It's like the man that's described in verse 25. You know, that when he gives, he receives even more. Now on the flip side of that, okay? If you choose not to do this God's way, expect problems when doing the wrong thing. Expect problems when doing the wrong thing. You see, if you're going to be a liar, it'll come back to haunt you. If you're going to be a hoarder, it'll come back to hurt you or hurt your family or hurt your kids. Okay, if you're going to be a cheater, if you're going to be stingy, that'll all come back around to you. It's going to catch up with you. But God's economy, if we just go there, God's economy is the right economy. Great summary verse. We're going to wrap this up. Verse 28. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall. Great summary verse. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall. But the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall. But the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. If we believe and we are willing to say, 
that God's economy is the right economy. This week, here's what I want to invite you to do. I want you to assume abundance in every circumstance. Assume abundance in every circumstance. In every moment of your life, as you are able, assume abundance. Don't go home today and say, honey, how come there's nothing in the fridge? Okay? Assume abundance. Assume good. Assume favor. Assume blessing. Don't assume scarcity anymore. Let's stop it. Let's stop assuming scarcity. Let's stop operating from this mindset where the glass is half empty all the stinking time. But instead, let's assume abundance. And the way that I want to help you do that this week is through our weekly challenge. Okay? Here's what we want you to do. Every day this week, list, write down, and then share with your family, with your small group, on Facebook, however you want to do it, 10 things that you're thankful for. Okay, we want you to count your blessings every day. 10 things that you're thankful for, no repeats. And in doing that, you know what it's going to do? It's going to recalibrate your heart and your mind to focus on abundance. To assume, assume, I specifically chose that word. Not because it just starts with the letter A and it kind of sounds cool, but it's real. Assume abundance. Go there first rather than being stingy, rather than assuming the negative or assuming the worst or assuming scarcity. Assume abundance Recalibrate your thinking by every single day listing 10 things that you're thankful for. Now, I know that in the month of November, this is like the cool, trendy thing to do, right? Okay, you're around Thanksgiving and everyone starts doing it on Facebook and you feel bad when you don't and, you know, everyone's listing stuff, okay? You know what? No one's doing it in March, okay? They're all doing it in November and that's fine, but St. John, we're going to do it here in March this week. 10 things every day that you're thankful for. And then take it another step. Share it with your spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend. Share it with friends at work. Share it publicly on Facebook. Talk about it. If you got young kids at the dinner table, talk about it before you go to bed at night. Ask for the 10 things. Talk about the 10 things. No repeats. Over and over and over again. And together, let's assume abundance. Because when we take abundance... And we allow abundance to be the key to unlock the rest of our life. There is so much blessing that God wants to give to us. In fact, the Old Testament prophet Malachi said it like this. He said it like this. Test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing into your life that you won't be able to handle it. If you want that type of life, It seems irrational, it seems scary, but it's real because God's economy is for us and it's not against us. So let's assume abundance in every circumstance this week. Let's stand and let's pray about it. As we wrap up our service today, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And we're going to see a very real expression of how God in, in the person and work of Jesus Christ, emptied himself, literally made himself nothing, and even today offers himself to us in the forms of bread and wine, his body and blood. And so as we do that, as we get ready for it, let's pray, let's confess our sins to God. Let's pray together. Lord God, we give you thanks for an opportunity to live abundantly, to assume abundance and not scarcity. And yet, God, when we're honest, when we're real, when when we're just very frank, 
we can all admit and confess moments when we have either intentionally or unintentionally focused on scarcity. When we've said, God, how come you can't give me more? Why are you doing this to me? I don't understand this trial I'm going through. Lord, we know it's okay to question, but forgive us when we just assume the worst. Lord, forgive us when we failed to live intentionally. And by that failure, we just had a very negative outlook on life. Lord, we know life is not easy. You never promised it would be. And yet you did promise that you would be with us, that you would never leave us and you would never forsake us. So Lord God, hear our confession now. Personally, privately, silently before you.